Hey everyone, and welcome back to Bad Apple. I'm Riley. I'm Helen. And this is our eighth episode. Yeah, we're heading for double digits at an alarming rate. Very, it's very alarming. We're going to be at ten soon, in two episodes' time. <laughs> Who would have thought? Maybe we'll do something big. Or um, what do you call your tenth anniversary? I don't know. What do you mean, what do you call it? What do you call it? Your tenth anniversary? A decade. A decade? A celebration. But yeah. it hasn't been a decade. It feels <laughs> feels like, like it, it yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it's raining today, so I'm banking on the uh, noise reduction filter to get rid of it. It is quite calming, though. Yeah. It's very calming for us. If it comes through for you, hopefully it's calming as well. Yeah. Anyway, let's jump right into today's case. <laughs> I'm saying Yeah. We're going to leap. <laughs> We're leaping let's and bowing. leap. You know why? Because I love jumping to conclusions. <laughs> Holy crap. Anyway. I, I didn't say that. You did. Yeah. I'm self-aware, at least. Uh, this Today's case is a New Zealand case. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't in New Zealand when it happened. But I did hear a lot about it. Mm, it would have been... when you By the time you got to New Zealand for Christmas this year, or for January, when you went back, Yeah, it would have been all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get started. Let's get started. On the 2nd of December, 2018... David and Gillian Mullane called their daughter Grace, who was backpacking in New Zealand, to wish her a happy birthday. Grace doesn't answer their calls or messages, and for three days they are unable to reach their daughter on the other side of the world. They become worried and contact New Zealand police. What her parents and police didn't know was that Grace may have not even made it to her 23rd birthday. So, who is Grace Mullane? Grace was a 22-year-old British backpacker, originally from Essex in England. So, she's our age. Same age as us. She had just finished her bachelor's degree in marketing at the University of Lincoln and was backpacking around the world as part of a gap year. After spending six weeks in South America, she arrived in New Zealand on the 20th of November 2018. Grace's parents were probably used to momentary lapses in communication. We've got time zone differences, unreliable phone service, and she's probably just busy enjoying her trip. But when she didn't respond to them for three days after her birthday, her parents knew something was wrong. This was out of character for Grace. Police immediately start tracking Grace's last known movements at the hotel she was staying at, and staff say that she didn't return to her room on the night of December 1st and that they hadn't seen her since. Detectives are also trawling through Grace's social media for any hints into where she might have gone or who she was with. A New Zealand police detective sees a recent comment on one of her photos from a 26-year-old man. We'll call him Jay. That's not his real name. The detective decides to message him, because why not? That's such a New Zealand thing to do. I imagine from the New Zealand police Facebook account yeah, as well, with the little logo. It's like, hey, cuz, what's this comment, bro? The comment was, quote, beautiful, very radiant, no punctuation, and with the upside down smiley emoji, like the one you send when you're just so over someone. <laughs> yeah, maybe a typo. Maybe, maybe it was a typo. Additionally, Grace's brother is able to give police her login so they can access her DMs. Was this brother just like, he found it out when he was like eight and he was like, oh yeah, one day, one day I'll need this. I'll go hack her. Or do you think she made one of those, like, 
folders of like where you put all your stuff. Yeah, if I go missing folder. Mm. If she listens to a lot of true crime podcasts. Jay replies to the detective's message the next morning and agrees to meet police in the foyer of the Crown Plaza that day to discuss Grace's disappearance. He told them that he had last seen Grace at 10pm on the 1st of December. He says that he had been with her that night, but that they parted ways after drinking together for two hours. But we know this is a lie after police get access to the CCTV at his City Life apartment and confirm new sightings of Malayne with Jay at City Life on the night of December 1st. Even with this information, they don't have enough to charge Jay with anything, so they let him go. On the 8th of December, police bring Jay in for questioning again because at this point, they've dug up some more dirt on him, including some pretty interesting mobile phone search history from the early hours of December 2nd. Incognito is a lie. Even if you're in incognito, even if you're not on the Wi-Fi network, it doesn't matter. Those IT police, yeah, they have some next level investigative tools going on. They will find if you've even if you've deleted things a million times and you think they're gone forever, they are not. They're never gone forever. In his incognito search, I imagine, or maybe just his public search. He probably was just a moron using public search. They found these search terms, large duffel bags, suitcases, and car hire, flesh-eating birds, and also questions asking, are there vultures in New Zealand? Are there? I don't think so. I always thought vultures were pretty outlandish, so I guess, no, no. God, they're scary, though. Yeah, anyway. New Zealand doesn't strike me as a place that would have vultures. Vultures are too mean to live in New Zealand. Vultures are also such an interesting method of considering um, disposal after a murder. You've got to be sure that they're going to... Get it. Yeah. And quickly. And be keen to... Yeah. Anyway. Not very reliable. As well as, quote, the hottest fire. Um, don't know what that means. Just the hottest fire. I guess there are a lot of, like, um, there's a lot of geothermic action in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. We could say volcanoes or mm-hmm. hot springs. Okay. Thermal springs, um, large bags near me, and Waitakere Ranges. They can also tell from his history that he was watching porn recently. Police are certain that Jay was lying to them the first time they spoke, and announced that they were now treating the case as a murder investigation. The fact that he was watching porn, isolated, you know, that's fine. Do what you like. But in this scenario, it does make him look like a bit of a creep. It's the icing on the cake of his search history. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So they interview him again and give him a chance to come clean. Here's how he said it went. They went to the hotel room and she sat on the bed and started talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. They started having sex and it was pretty normal sex. Then she asked if they could get into some bondage. The sex got more violent and they ended up on the floor. They kept having sex on the floor and then she asked him to hold her throat. Then the sex just finishes, is what he says? Yeah, he just kind of says, then we finished. Right. Sure. He goes to have a shower, and all he remembers is falling asleep in the shower. Maybe like a micro nap. Maybe. He comes out of the shower and turns the bathroom light off, and then goes to sleep in bed. At this point, he thought that Grace had already left. He says he thought she left, because she wasn't in the bed, and he apparently like couldn't see her, because right. it was dark. The next morning, he woke up and found Grace dead on the floor, apparently with no idea how this could have happened. Quote, I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. 
He went downstairs and was all over the place and didn't believe what had happened and was terrified. When asked at the end of the interview, did you kill Grace Mullane? He whispers, no. They had to ask him to say the answer again because they almost couldn't hear it. He was just like, no. no right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Then he agreed to take the police to where he had buried Grace in the Waitakere Ranges. The police have their suspicions about whether this story is entirely true, but it's still enough for him to lead them to Grace. The next day, Grace's body was found around 4pm off Scenic Drive in the Waitakere Ranges. We've just talked about the Waitakere Ranges in our episode about Mercer Bay and the missing woman, and it's just pretty unfortunate that this is always seems to be the location that this kind of stuff happens in New Zealand. It's very pretty there. It's a very lush nature bush, but I guess that lends itself to hiding bodies, disposing bodies, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Anyway, in our episode about Mercer Bay, we talked about the Te Reranga Wairua, mm-hmm. which means the spirit's flight. And I really hope that Grace Grace's spirit went along the spirit's flight, or at least that Hinarangi was watching over her. Mm. After finding the body, coroners conduct a post-mortem examination, which is able to clarify a few things about how Grace died. The post-mortem examination revealed that Grace had bruising on her throat and arms, which was consistent with being restrained and asphyxiated. She had bruises on her shoulders and the inside of her arms, and another bruise below her jawline, which extended down her neck. She also didn't have any defensive wounds, indicating that she probably was restrained. Grace had a blood alcohol content of 0.09, which is almost double the legal limit to drive. Listen, apparently being drunker would have affected her breathing, which might have affected how long it took her to suffocate, but the experts really differ in this area. All I'll say is, the point at which I wouldn't drive a car legally at 0.05, and the point at which I feel like I'm like, can't breathe properly, like my heart rate's up, I'm like, a bit out of control of my body. Those are quite far apart. Yeah. I feel like 0.09 isn't that drunk. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really have a, I don't really have a measure. Not that, yeah, I've never breathalyzed myself at regular intervals on exactly. a night out. Yeah. That would be kind of fun, though, as an experiment. Yeah. The legal limit to drive is pretty low at the threshold. Mm, that's, yeah, that's true. So, so I feel like... we're saying is she probably wasn't, like, blackout drunk yeah, or anything yeah. at 0.09. So from their investigations so far, especially their collection of CCTV footage, police are able to reconstruct a pretty good series of events relating to Grace's murder. We're about to walk you through what happened from December 1st to December 3rd, so stick with us. It's a bit of a long timeline. We know that the pair met at Sky City, which by the way is like a chain of casinos, so it would have been a casino, not like an area. Riz. Yeah, I asked Helen when I was doing this research, I was like, where's Sky City? <laughs> and she thought I meant it was like like it was like a suburb or something. <laughs> yeah, the main the main city suburb, Sky City. Sky City. They met there at 5.45pm where they approached each other and he gave her an awkward hug. You know that hug when you walk up to your Tinder date? Yeah, and you're like clutching your purse. Yeah, she gave him the old one armour back. Like a little T-re- one T-Rex arm. I've definitely done that Men- multiple times. They went to a bar where they ordered some drinks, which Jay paid for. Then we see them walking down the street at around 7pm, heading to Mexican Cafe. That's also a bar. I mean, I guess they serve food as well. Yeah. But it's, there's drinks. It's not really a cafe. Yeah. Cafe, loose term. 
Grace is smiling and chatting to Jay and looks happy and relaxed. They had some margaritas and as they left, Grace was smiling and had a brief exchange with a waitress. They then went to the Blue Stone Room on Durham Lane. Jay drank beers and Grace had a whiskey cocktail and at one point they both had a tequila shot. As they sat at a table near the entrance and chatted, Jay was very animated and talking with his hands a lot. At one point, Grace goes to the bathroom. While she's gone, he takes her handbag and rummages through it. Which, dude, what? Why would you do that? That is so rude. Imagine if she came back. If I came back and someone was going through my purse, I'd be like, I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Rude ass. What what was he hoping to... I have no idea what he was looking for. Like... I think he was just being a bit nosy, to be honest. What, like money or like a... Some ID or something? I don't know. I don't know. Phone records show that while Grace was in the bathroom, she messaged a friend in the UK saying that she was on a date with the manager of an oil company and that it was really good. She told her friend she loved her and missed her and then said, quote, he's coming to London next year. I click with him so well. I'll let you know what happens tomorrow. That was the last message Grace ever sent. When she returns to the table, it's evident that the pair are now very comfortable with each other. They were kissing and they were engaging in a lot more physical touch. They left the bar at 9.40pm, where they walked to Jay's apartment at the City Life Hotel. I checked where these two places were on Google Maps, and it's literally 74 metres away from the bar. Like, less than a minute walk. I don't know, it just seems like he definitely picked it on purpose, so that they wouldn't have far to go. That's all I'll say. There are some mad inclines on Queen Street, though, especially off Queen Street. So it could still have been a bit of an actual hike. The puffing at the top. Yeah. As they walked up Durham Lane, he had his arm around her until they got into the lift. In a matter of seconds, they were on level three, where Jay exited the lift and Grace followed. This is the last time Grace was seen alive. Letting your date exit after you. Yeah, surely. From a lift. After you. You know when you know when a guy like. Holds his armor, he's like, after you. Especially on a lift. Those doors yeah. could close at any time. Or when he like puts his arm to like stop the door closing yeah. and lets you out. Ooh, even if it's like a stranger, I'm like, you are, I would die for the you. The love of my life. <laughs> Do you love me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Come on. Mm. Not hard. Yeah. Once they were in the hotel room, Grace and Jay started having sex. Apparently, it started off fairly vanilla and then delved into more BDSM stuff. What does that stand for is exactly? Um, on a some Googling I did, I found out that it stands for B, bondage, D, domination, S, sadism, and M, mach- masochism. Right. Right? We're talking Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. We're talking ropes. We're talking... Blindfolds. Blindfolds. We're talking... Whips. Whips. What else? Uh... Uh, paddle uh, paddle things we're talking um what's some other stuff they do handcuffs yeah, yeah. stuff like that it's definitely become a bit more mainstream recently. yeah i think everyone has possibly some element some level of you know domination at mm. least in there yeah in that so it's not as outlandish as uh it might seem one may presume yes. yeah yeah Police contend that during intercourse, he strangled her for between 5 and 10 minutes. This time frame is something that was really contested because we don't actually have that much like hard evidence to go off. They're just The police are kind of speculating. He's not really giving them much. But I think that they sort of end up agreeing that he would have strangled her for at least 90 seconds. And it only takes 30 seconds to kill someone. 
With this in mind, it means that she would have passed out and there would have been a considerable time that he was still choking her after that point until she died. So it would have been easy to tell that she was unconscious and he kept choking her. Grace died on the floor and he slept in the room with her lifeless body. Jay then does all those whack internet searches, goes and looks at some porn and takes some pictures of Grace. When he was asked about these pictures, he says she's still alive in them. He says that they were both taking pictures of each other during sex, but he also says they had sex with the lights off and the lights are clearly on in these pictures, so something's not quite adding up. There might have been maybe... I, I don't know. Maybe he they quickly t- turned the lights on and took some pictures and then turned them back off again. Yeah. I don't know. Seemingly he was misremembering a lot of things here. Yeah. The CCTV captures Jay the next day. He enters the lift and checks his reflection in the mirror on his way down to the lobby. Gotta make sure you're still on point, looking fresh. Ugh. He's then seen just after 8am at the warehouse in the Atrium Shopping Centre on Elliott Street. The warehouse? is kind of like... It's like Bunnings Warehouse, but a little bit more general. Not just... Maybe like the reject shop. Yeah, the reject shop. I do miss the warehouse. He goes to the warehouse on Elliott Street, which, by the way, is the same street that Juan was killed on in our Juan Villar episode. Mm. What is going on on Elliott Street, dude? I don't know. But they have a nice eatery. Oh, yeah. Elliott Street eatery. But also apparently a lot of shady stuff. Mm. This is where he purchases a suitcase. He goes back to the hotel and puts Grace's body in the suitcase, and then out again to the Victoria Street countdown, where he purchases some cleaning products before coming back to his room. During his attempted cleanup, he sends some messages to a Tinder match to arrange a Tinder date for that afternoon. Girl, abort. Abort, if only she knew. Yeah, and he's back on it. He's on it again. Yeah, like six hours later. Holy crap. He takes a taxi to Apex Car Rentals and picks up a small red Toyota, bringing it back to the hotel. By this time, he's due to meet his next Tinder date. So, with Grace's body inside the suitcase in his freshly cleaned hotel room, he goes to meet a woman at 5pm at Revelry on Ponsonby Road. Props to this guy, I cannot my tin... I don't have that kind of stamina on dating apps. Yeah, oh my god. I go on one date, I'm tired. For like I need three take, months. <laughs> I need to take a break. She needs to delete the app Holy crap. for a couple weeks. Yep. He tells this Tinder date some weird stuff. She says that the conversation started off quite light and fun, and that he was an Australian, and so they talked about Australian things. Let me just clarify. He wasn't. He was not He just Australian. lived there for a little bit, okay? We are not, I'm not claiming this guy. He's not one of us. Keep going. She said that she noticed he was bigger than in his photos, that he had put on some weight, but that he was very, very clean and well-groomed. His clothes were clean and put together. I can't even do that on a good day. So that is a pretty good effort for someone who is apparently in shock and terrified at what they'd just done. Yeah. And this girl's a queen because she was just catfished. Yeah. And she's still here. She says she started to feel a little bit uneasy about the day after he had told her where he had worked online, but then told her something completely different on the date. So another catfish part? Yes. Huge whiskers he has got. Yeah, they're growing by the minute. He told her that all his friends in New Zealand were police officers, and when she asked how he met them all, he just said, I met them in bars and they invited me back for a barbecue. 
He also says that one of his friends in Australia was coming to New Zealand to become a Crown Prosecutor. And here's where it gets really weird. Obviously, even if you meant to kill someone, and you are really chill about it, you're a cool cucumber, you're still going to have some sort of trauma response. And this just manifested in this date. He was obviously like thinking about police, he's thinking about prosecution, the court system, justice, bodies, like he's thinking about all this stuff, and it just is like coming out in this weird way to this poor woman. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Some men don't need a girlfriend, you just need therapy. Hmm. This guy. Definitely things of similar energy has happened to me on mm, dates. Just oversharing. Oversharing, but not of, like, not this. Yeah. Um, oh right, my yeah. God, you would know where it is. Yeah. But uh, definitely, you know, that. I bet he was doing this. Da 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 da. Oh my God, I'm probably oversharing. And you're like, blah, no, blah, no. blah, 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 blah. Keeps And he just keeps oversharing. You're like, oh, d- haha, don't worry about it because you're trying to seem really nice. <sighs> yes. <laughs> He told her that the New Zealand police were having a tough time because of bodies going missing in the Waitakere Ranges and that police dogs couldn't find them because they're buried four feet deep and the dogs can't smell that far down. Clearly all okay. normal thoughts to be having on a yeah. day-to-day basis. Just so randomly. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Waitakere's. The m- massive troubles in the Waitakere's. God. Okay. Then he tells her another story, starting off by saying... It's crazy how a guy can make one mistake and go to jail for the rest of his life. He said he knew a guy in Australia who had consensual rough sex and accidentally strangled his girlfriend to death. He kept saying it was an accident and that the guy loved her but things went wrong. He said he got done for manslaughter and is now serving a long prison sentence. Projecting a bit. Hugely projecting. You reckon? (laughs) After this, she tried to steer the conversation back towards more mundane topics, but the date didn't last for too much longer anyway. Yeah, been there. Doesn't work. You can't steer that hard. No. You're doing in Titanic, you fully... You're like, (sighs) you've seen the iceberg. (laughs) And it doesn't happen. You can't make it past the iceberg. Fuck. They then got up to leave, and he said, my car is this way. Her car was also that way, but she lied and said it was the other way. He was much bigger than her, and she didn't feel like she could defend herself. Have you ever, like, told, like, lied to someone to be, like, even, like, not someone you want to date with, just, like, a random guy, to be to get get him to leave you alone? Not like, you've, you've inconvenienced yourself so that they would just leave you alone. Not really. Oh, I've done that. Right. So many times. Props to her for doing that. She, her, her spider senses were tingling. Yeah. And I also couldn't have done that because I don't have a car to go back to. I'd be like... <laughs> Oh, the train station is that way. Just the opposite way. And there's, like, way. a sign pointing the <laughs> other way. That would be me. I have, like, fully gotten on the wrong tram, gotten off at the wrong stop, walked into, like, different bars that I wasn't, isn't even, wasn't even going to, like, right. hid in the toilet for a bit, walked out. Oh. Oh. Gosh. Let's not go into that. How odd is this conversation, though? Mm. It's almost like he was sort of, like, testing out this story on her. To see if, like, she would feel sort of, like, sympathetic or to see what, like, her reaction would be to see if it was, like, a good story to tell police. After this date, he hires a rug doctor carpet cleaner and cleans the carpet in his room. He then sleeps in the room again with Grace's body still in there. Are we worried about decomposition? He's not. He's not. Are we worried about, like, spirits? Definitely not. I'm... I'm... Look, I'm, I'm not saying... I don't want to come off as, like, a hippie, weird person. But they're out there. Spirits. 
and hers would have still been in that room. She would not have crossed over. She was un- she had, had unfinished business. The next day, December 3rd, in the early hours of the morning, he takes the suitcase with Grace's body to the rental car he'd hired and drives to Kumu on his way to the Waitakere Ranges and purchases a shovel from the ITM. I think the ITM is like a bit like Bunnings, mm-hmm. like hardware. Kumu really isn't on the way to the Ranges. It's like a bit in the other direction. So I don't know if he was buying the shovel from there so that he wouldn't get traced or something, or maybe there's just not that many hardware shops in the area. Then he drives to Scenic Drive in the Waitakere Ranges. He takes the shovel into the forest a little, where he digs a hole. He then places the suitcase in the hole and fills it in. On the way back, he stops at a car wash to clean the car, drops his clothes and shoes at a dry cleaner, and dumps Grace's belongings in a bin in Albert Park. The thing is, this isn't like a panicked, shocked, all-over-the-place reaction. This wasn't a heat-of-the-moment, I just need to get rid of this body, oh my gosh. He was—he did it over, like, two days, essentially. It was thought through, even as far as taking his things to a dry cleaner and getting the carpets cleaned. It was calm and collected. Maybe not like days and days of premeditation and planning before the murder, but it definitely seems intentional in the way that he followed it through. Even if he's panicked and shocked, he's um quite thorough. He is thorough. It doesn't seem like... Obviously, he slips up in the fact that he's on CCTV with her everywhere, including in the lift. But if that wasn't there, he almost doesn't slip up. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Actually, he does with that Facebook comment. Oh, yeah. He should have deleted that. He should not have done that. He just shouldn't have done it in the first place. Because what? A, why would the upside down smiley face? He would have commented before they met up for their date yeah and that's weird man why would you do that like on her old dp oh just letting you know i'm stalking your facebook before our date oh god so now that we have a pretty good idea of what happened to grace what do we know about this guy we know that he was born in wellington new zealand and that he was raised in a split family his mother had moved overseas and he lived mainly with his father and grandfather he worked mainly in bars and doing manual labor and lived in Sydney from 2013 to 2016. He wasn't close with his family because there was a bit of beef there about him allegedly stealing from them and being dishonest. He also had a bit of a record, just, you know, drink driving and disorderly behaviour. So not violent crimes, it's like petty crimes. Mm -hmm. We said before that Jay isn't his real name. That's because we don't know his name because he was granted a suppression order so that he could receive a fair trial. This is pretty common, especially if you're kind of shady to begin with. You don't want potential jurors to find out stuff about you that might be shady and isn't what you're on trial for, and then be biased coming into the trial. There's only so much a judge can do when instructing juries on what to take into account and what to disregard. So the New Zealand media, uh, and you know, not allowed to say his name. Yeah. He seemed massively into dating apps and seemingly just women in general. A family member said he, quote, enjoyed the admiration of young females and that he had dated a number of British backpackers. Perhaps he liked dating people that were just passing through because it allowed him to indulge in these little fantasies and just, you know, tell them completely made up stories about himself. He was a serial catfisher. Leo DiCaprio, catch me if you can. Yeah. But dating. He would tell them he was rich, that he was friends with celebrities, including all blacks players. 
Dude, if I was on a date with a with a guy and he was like, "Yeah, I've got friends that are that are all blacks. I've got friends that are all blacks." I'd be like, "Where are they then? <laughs> Hit me up." That being said, it's New Zealand. Link me in. Everyone's friends with the all blacks. <laughs> just like everyone's friends with Lord, like you. You're friends with Lord. <laughs> you know Jacinda Ardern. <laughs> There's only seventy people in New Zealand. You're not wrong. That being said, I don't actually know an all black. I probably know someone who knows one though. I reckon you definitely. Do. My fr- <laughs> Richie McCall. My friend lives in the uh, uh lives in a suburb with one, and she sees him at the traffic light with his daughter all the time. Oh. very sweet. Anyway, yeah. that's just to say that I do in fact know someone who so maybe, kind of knows an all. Black. Maybe he did know some all blacks, but I don't think so. Mm. If he did, maybe he like had seen one once. <laughs> I don't think he had them in his phone, you know. Yeah. He told some women he had cancer and that he was an orphan. He's really trying out some different yeah. narratives here. He said he was involved in organized crime and told others that he was friends with high-ranking police officers. He's very escapist. That That's us at, in this quarantine. We're just trying to make up things that, to make our life more exciting. Yeah. Just be mediocre. Yeah. So the trial began on November 4th, 2019, 11 months after Grace went missing. Grace's parents, Gillian and David, were present for the whole thing. The jury was shown intimate pictures that had been taken of Grace's body by Jay, during which her mother left the courtroom. Imagine the heartache that your daughter has been murdered and now you have to watch her private life be ripped apart. They also heard from Grace's previous partners about what their sex lives were like when they were together, with one saying that they shared an interest in bondage, but that they had a safe word, which was turtle, and that Grace would tap out if she got uncomfortable. Which is like pretty regular practice. Yeah. BDSM. A safe word. Mm-hmm. You watch Fifty Shades of Grey. What is it? Red? That's kind of, that's basic. Why use red when you can use turtle? That's basic, yeah. Come up with something fun. One of her friends told the court that Grace told her she enjoyed her partner putting his hands around her neck. This is obviously not something that her parents were expecting and would have been hard for them to hear. But they seem to have a really like mature reaction and they maintain support and respect for their daughter. In his victim impact statement, Grace's father said, quote, Children don't tell their parents everything, and neither should they. What a star. I know, what a star. At the trial, the defense insists that it was some rough sex gone wrong. We don't kink shame here on the pod. We kink encourage. But we encourage you to do it safely, you know? If two consenting adults want to do some whack shit, whatever you want to do, and you're both into it, who are we to judge, right? Well, we just called it whack. Oh, true. Rave. <laughs> shit. I'm going to say that again. No, I'm keeping that in. Oh, you kink shamer. Oh, no. <laughs> some unique stuff, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, okay. Some, uh... Like, out of the box? Yeah. Experimental. Imaginative? Those are all better words. So, yes. Choking can be dangerous. If you do a quick Google, a very quick Google will tell you that it's dangerous, but it will also probably tell you how to, like, do it right and engage in that safely. Anyway, the defense basically say that it was consensual sex and she wanted it and that it just went wrong and that it should only be manslaughter because he didn't do it intentionally. The prosecution rebut this, saying that it was definitely intentional for the following reasons. One that she would have lost consciousness during the strangulation before she died and that even though her body was limp and lifeless he carried on strangling her until she was dead 
Two, that he didn't call an ambulance when he realized she was dead. That he was cool and collected in his disposal of the body, and not, quote, in shock or terrified, as he contended. Three, that watching porn and taking the photos and videos of Grace's lifeless body proves that he meant it, or was at least unbothered by, by what had just transgressed. That was a big word. Mm. They say that even if the style of the sex was consensual, even if she wanted to be choked, that legally no one can consent to their murder, and that also any other consent, as in like in, the, in sex, or what he could do to her, would have ended when Grace became unconscious. And anything after that point was not agreed upon. Yes. This is... That's the tea. If someone is unconscious or asleep, or they, like, fall asleep, you take the risk that anything you do after that, they might not want. Yeah. Best to maybe not. Unless you have discussed it beforehand and they say, that's all right. Yeah. Keep going. If I fall asleep, then go for your life. If if you have that sort of relationship. Yeah. But... You trust each other. In this circumstance, no. I don't think that's what happened. After deliberating for just five hours, the jury of seven women and five men returned a verdict of guilty of murder, and Jay was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum non-parole period of 17 years. Jay maintains that he never intended to kill Grace, and in March of 2020, he appealed his conviction and sentence in the Court of Appeal. This hearing has just taken place on the 6th of August 2020, so not long ago. So he did have the option to maybe just appeal the sentence, so the 17 years. The minimum that you need to sentence someone to in New Zealand is 10, but the judge went for 17. So he could have just been like, that was too much. But no, he's appealing the conviction as well. So he wants to get it reduced to manslaughter. This appeal was headed by a different barrister, with his old barrister saying, quote, Sometimes trial lawyers consider that it may be helpful for another lawyer to review afresh the trial and sentence process when an appeal is being considered. That has been recommended to my client and has happened here. With our assistance, the appeals will be filed and advanced by that lawyer for this reason. This kind of sounds like lawyer code for I got kicked off because my client wasn't happy with me, but um, that's none of my business and maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm just judging this this guy because from his website, he seems, he seems like a bit of a... He seems like the lawyer that gives lawyers a bad name. Bruce is going through clerkship season. Oh, it's a hard time. It's a tough time for me. It's all touchy, touchy business. Touchy sub... Uh, barristers? Cancelled. All lawyers? Cancelled. <laughs> Law firms? Cancelled. Everyone is cancelled. Especially this guy because he seems like... He seems like a bit of a... Oh, he seems like the guy that... You know in that Shakespeare play and... It's like they're like planning the revolution and the butcher's like, I know what we'll do. Kill all the lawyers. Like that's their first thing that they do. That's that, It was about this dude. Hmm. Anyway. Go on. Tell me about the new, the new dude. <sighs> the new woman. It's a woman now. Oh, yeah. Her name is Rachel Reed. We have a little quote that she said during the appeal hearing. Now, we don't have this in context. Okay. So it might have a slightly different meaning. We don't know the before or after. Anyway, what she said was, quote, Consent shouldn't be removed just because someone has died. I don't know how you can mean anything else by that. What the fuck, Rachel? Rachel. That's messed up. That's exactly when consent should be removed. Oh my god. They're dead. Rachel, what if you found yourself in the same situation? Would you be re-quoting yourself? Would you be willing to eat your words? If you died and people just did whatever they want to you? Just desecrate your body? 
oh, what foundation is she getting this? <laughs> we need to know the before and after. I cannot believe what she has just said. Maybe it'll come out later. I can't believe what she said either. Mm. Rachel. So as we're recording this, the outcome of the appeal hasn't been handed down. This case got a lot of public attention. Maybe because this kind of stuff doesn't actually usually happen in New Zealand. That might be the main basis for where all of the frenzy took off. But there are also other reasons. Firstly, some people said that this was white woman syndrome, where the media traditionally gives more attention to white passing, conventionally attractive women from middle class backgrounds who are seen as innocent or angelic. We probably we talked about this on the podcast yeah, before. The and whole ideal victim. Yes. Gag. Women of color are disproportionately the victims of male violence and violence in general. And yes, the media doesn't cover them hardly at all. And we need to be talking about those women a lot more too. But I don't really know if this was it entirely. It might have got a lot of coverage, but the coverage of Grace wasn't the ordinary sympathy story. They really focused in on her sexual interests in BDSM, sometimes wording it in such a way as if, like, an explanation of what happened or even a justification. Not it, media. That's not cool. Not cool at all. And I know that BDSM and wild sex draws in coverage. It gets you that clickbait. That's probably how Fifty Shades has the revenue it has today. Not because of its brilliant writing. Oh my god. So I get it. But it's trashy, right? But I guess the media is trashy. Yeah, they are a bit trash. Apparently, she was a member of all these BDSM sites. On these BDSM sites, the police had found chat transcripts of her sharing her fetishes for explicit bondage, domination, and sadomasochism. They described her as naive and trusting and really fed into this narrative that somehow her sexual history kind of justified her death, that she was taking all these risks. And it just went wrong. But that wasn't it. Mm. Our queen of a prime minister, Jacinda Ardern. Mm. I love her. She's great at making speeches. And she made this speech in regards to this case that was so full of empathy. Yeah. So full of genuine emotion. You could you could hear her like she was trying to get through it. She was tearing up. We'll pull a little clip in. You know, from uh, the Kiwis I have spoken to, there is this overwhelming sense of hurt and shame that this has happened in our country, a place that prides itself on our hospitality, on our manakitanga, um, especially to those who are visiting our shores. And so on behalf of New Zealand, I want to apologise to Grace's family. Your daughter should have been safe here, and she wasn't, and I'm sorry for that. Grace's mum's impact statement is also hard to read. She said, She died terrified and alone in a room with you, all her dreams and aspirations taken. As a mother, I would have done anything to change places with her. I sit full of guilt knowing I couldn't help her, that I should have been there. Your barbaric actions towards my grace is beyond comprehension. Mm. Oh, that is sad. That's hard to read. Gillian said her kind and intelligent daughter's dream to travel the world had turned into a nightmare that ripped the family apart. Her dad read a statement to the media after the guilty verdict had been handed down. Mm. And I nearly cried watching it. I don't know if maybe um, I'm feeling extra emotional today. We'll cut to a little bit of his statement here. But fair warning, it is upsetting. Yeah. Go on. 
Grace was taken away from us in the most brutal fashion a year ago. And our lives have been, and family have been ripped apart. This will be with us for the rest of our lives. Grace was a beautiful, talented, loving daughter. Grace was our sunshine, and she will be missed forever. She did not de deserve to be murdered in such a barbaric way on her OE year. Yeah, that statement is very sad. I don't think anyone would ever imagine something like that would happen to your child. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, I don't know how you would even move on. Mm. But uh, they were—they weren't salty about New Zealand, which was very nice of them. Yeah. I have to say, like they were still like very appreciative of um, the New Zealand people. And you said that um, there was like a ceremony. Yep, Grace's dad attended this kind of uh, like Maori ritual at the place they found her body was very nice and he kind of said he said that she would forever be a kiwi even though she wasn't there for that long which mm. oh my god what's his name david oh my god david too kind you're too kind i'm david so, and the I, way they... i feel compelled to be like i'm sorry yeah yeah the way that they both like handled themselves when this would have been so traumatic like not only has your daughter been murdered she was like her whole sex life just got dragged back up, mm. which is, like, meant to be something that's private, right? That would be so difficult to deal with. And it just seems like they really took it in their stride through the whole thing mm. and, like, never once oh. did their belief in her falter. Oh. Even when, like, you know, people were saying, like, she was doing all these things, like, making up all these, like, not making up stories, but, like, just playing into this, like, that she was just into this wild stuff. And they stuck by her until the very, very end. So huge props. Great parents. To David and Gillian. Yeah. You guys, are the, I wish you all the best. Um, Yeah, doing the research for this one was really quite hard. And it made me really upset and angry at times. Like, just the audacity of this guy to just think that he has, like, any right. So if you feel really, like, upset and emotional after listening, that's okay. Give yourself some extra love. Show the women in your life some extra love. And that's on feminism. What happened should also be seen through her lens. Like, she's in New Zealand, which is known to be safe. Mm -hmm. And she had just come back from South America. Which is known to be dodgy. <laughs> for a, a single female traveller, where she had just got through, like, six weeks alone. So it's completely understandable that she could have thought it would be okay for her. And that she would be safe and not killed in this way. And that is something that you are entitled to think, right? We shouldn't have to worry about, like, people hurting us and men hurting us and or having to lie and say, my car's this way because we didn't feel safe on a date. But, like, that isn't the world we live in. So if your initial thought was, like, why didn't she look after herself? Yeah, okay. That's a fair thought to have because that's the world we live in. But very, very important to recognise that Grace's actions and the way she chose to spend her time in New Zealand is not up for debate. We're, there's no way you can blame her. And we shouldn't have to fear for our lives. Mm. So that's pretty much all we have to say about this case. Go take a breather. We hope you enjoyed listening. 
as we said, we'll update if anything happens because it's back in court. Yeah. I'm not sure how long it's going to take for them to hand down the decision of the appeal. Mm. I'm assuming, like, probably not that long. It doesn't, yes. doesn't look like there's any new evidence. Yeah. Just Rachel saying that apparently consent doesn't end when you... Rachel, no one you... asked you. Someone Literally. did ask you, but... <laughs> he asked. Yeah, the most irrelevant person in the world asked you to say that, and you spoke. <laughs> Fuck Could've it just out. kept your mouth shut. Jesus, If Rachel. you don't have anything nice to say... Oh, don't, don't say, say anything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll join you guys next week for another case. Another bad apple. Mm-hmm. See you then. Bye.